So we're going to continue in our study of 1 John, which I hope you guys, in the middle of all the tornado crazy, got a chance to, like, dig into the first chapter and really, like, break apart the Word of God for yourself, because that is what I am most excited about um, in this series. So if you were not here last week, there is a stack of these back on the coffee. There was a stack of them back on the coffee table. If they are gone, I have one left, and you can come get it. Awesome. I'm going to use it for this, and I'll give it to you after. (laughs) So we are um, asking three questions as we study. Oh, Emily Knorr has extra, y'all. They are up for grabs. She might start auctioning them off. I'm just kidding. So we are going to ask three questions about the scriptures we go through it. And the first one is, what does it say? And the second one is, what does it mean? And the third one is application. What does it mean to me? So tonight we're going to start with um, 1 John chapter 2. So I just moved my board up so you all can't see the scripture. Can you go ahead and pull the first scripture up, Chelsea? And I'm going to read it to you guys. Um, If you have your Bibles, please open them. If you have your phone Bible, please open that. And I'm going to read it to you guys. But let me just pray. I feel like a tornado has just happened up here. So let's pray. Um, God, thank you for these girls. Thank you for your word. Thank you for its truth. God, I would pray that um, tonight would be um, a night of challenge and encouragement. God, that we wouldn't walk away from tonight having left anything um, in the dark or having left things unsaid that need to be said, but God, that we would move towards you as a corporate body. Um, God, I ask for your help as I break apart the scripture, that it would be true what comes out of my mouth. Um, And Lord, that your spirit would just rest on us. And I ask that in your name. Amen. Okay, 1 John chapter 2 starts. Dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So John starts out by saying, my dear children. So he's not writing this to people who are not followers of Christ. He is writing this to the church. Um, and he is talking about sin. And this is important, guys, that he frames the, the whole chapter by starting this off and saying this because there's something really, really important that he wants us to know. So we're going to start by saying, what does this say? So as I'm reading scripture, I personally like to look for words, key words that stand out to me and ask, like, what does it actually say? So um, the word advocate, can anyone tell me what an advocate is? Spokesperson, someone who stands up for someone else. Also a lawyer, a defender, yeah? A defender. So the scripture is saying that Jesus is our what? Defender. Mm -hmm. So he says, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. We have a defender. And who is our defender? And then I look a little bit further down. It said, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So not only is he my defender, he's my sacrifice. And I looked that word up in the dictionary. Also, feel free to use dictionaries and like commentaries and things. As you're studying the Word of God, you guys, don't be afraid to be like, I need help and I need to know what this word means. That's good. It helps you to understand what the author is trying to say. Sacrifice is the surrender of something for the sake of something else. So what did Jesus do? He surrendered himself. He surrendered his life. He surrendered his holiness so that he could not only be our defender, but our covering. So the good news, guys, and it's news that we often like run by and forget. I think in the busyness of our day or just having been Christ followers for a while, sometimes it can feel like a lifestyle instead of a relationship, right? 
So the truth is, is that when we get stuck in our sin or our cycles of junk, we have someone who defends us to God the Father, who's not only our defender, but he has paid the penalty. He surrendered his life for us. So we're clear. Like the bottom line, what John is saying here, is when it comes to sin, we're pretty much in the clear. We've got someone who's on our side. Isn't that good news? Thanks. It is good news. Awesome. Yeah, it's great news. It's the best news. And this is super important, and we're going to have to come back to it because um, John continues, and then this is where it's going to start to get really, really, guys. So I'm going to just wander over here and erase things. Um, but I'm going to also be reading. Chelsea, you want to put up the other scripture? He continues on, and he says, um, We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he says, is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. And this is how we know that we are in, that, that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Now, there were some questions that came up for me when I read this, and maybe you guys have the same questions, just kind of listening to me read it. Um, the first question for me was when it says, because we have to ask the question, what does it say, right? The first question was, um, if I say I know him, but I sin, what does that mean about me? Mm-hmm. Right? Because the scripture then says that person is a liar. But how could that be true? Because if if I don't know him, if like any sin that I commit means that I don't know him, then how am I, how can I continue in a relationship with God, right? Isn't that a, like a normal question you would have reading the scripture? We have to go back to that first part where it says that Jesus is our what? Our defender and our what? And our sacrifice. So if part one is true, then part two this has to be a different meaning than what he's saying. We can't just be like, oh, if I sin, I don't know God, right? Because a lot of us who've grown up in the church maybe have that fear. I know you do because I've heard you say it. That, you know, if I am in this constant cycle of sin and I can't get out of it, then maybe I don't actually know Jesus, right? What does it say then? What does it mean? If I say I know him, but I sin, then what? And then it continues, and it says, if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. And then it says, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. So this is my second question. How the heck do I live like Jesus? <laughs> like, that is pretty much impossible, right? Only person who's Jesus is Jesus. So how is that even attainable for me? Am I the only one with these questions as you read this passage? Okay, good. Thank goodness. I'm like, I can't, clearly, um, y'all must have some amazing understanding because that's awesome. Um, Okay, so how do I live like Jesus? So here, here's where I was like, okay, if this is what it says, then actually what does it mean? And we have to go to question number two. What does it mean? Um, So we're going to break it apart a little bit. How many of you guys have known somebody in the church who said a lot of religious things and knew all the right words to say, but their life did not reflect that. Yeah, a majority of us. So the first thing that we want to look at right here 
is that I think that John is saying you are what you do, not what you say. And this is important. Why is this important? Because there's a lot of people in the world who can say a lot of things really well. Right? There's a lot of people who know a lot about the church and know a lot about the Bible, and they know how to use that to twist it and to deceive and to um, use it for their own end and means. And we hear stories about that in the news all the time. People in churches who've made grave mistakes, people in churches who have been wolves in sheep's clothing, um, so what John is saying is there's a test that you can use to figure out if someone actually has a relationship with Jesus. And here's what I want to look at. Knowing Christ gives rise to obedience. So it starts at the beginning, and he says, we know that we have come to know him. And then he continues down and says, this is how we know we are in him. So there are two things that John is talking about, knowing him and being in him. Right? Those two things are important because one is salvation— One is sanctification. Do you guys know what those words mean? I don't care. We're going to define them. Salvation. (laughs) Salvation is surrender of your life. My writing is terrible. I'm sorry. To Jesus. Okay? Surrender of your life to Jesus. Knowing him means that you give all of yourself to Christ. And in that moment, he gives all of himself to you. And he becomes that defender and that sacrifice and that covering for your life. Okay? Knowing him is not knowing about him. Knowing him is not growing up in the church. Knowing him is not having parents who are Christ followers. Knowing him is a decision that you have made to give your life to Christ and to live that way as a Christ follower. Okay? That means that he's the boss of your life. Being in him is sanctification. That's a big word. That means you are becoming like him. And you do that by living with him every day and walking in obedience. Both of these things come back to obedience. Okay? So sanctification is important because this is going to answer the question of like, how do I live like Jesus then? How is this even possible for me? Because you can notice if if someone really knows Jesus, there should be a change in the life of that person. It shouldn't just be what comes out of their mouth. You should be able to mark change and say, not perfection, not not sinless, because we're all human beings, let's be real. But Woody drew a chart one time. I'm going to raise the top half of this. Woody drew a chart once in the big room, and he said that your life, if you start here at Salvation, should have a continual trend up and to the right. This is sanctification. 
Not that you don't have valleys, not that you don't screw it up a couple times or more than a couple times, but that you are continually returning to Christ and you are walking with him because you obey him. Okay? So as you guys are living in community and as you guys maybe um, graduate Liberty and go out to other churches or maybe you have questions about things in your family, this is a question and a filter you guys can have for yourselves. Does the person that I'm talking to really know Jesus? And this is a question you should ask yourselves because not everyone who's, like I said before, not everyone who speaks the word of God knows, the, knows him, okay? Do their lives reflect scripture up and to the right? And then for us as we struggle, as we screw it up and we make those mistakes, this should be encouraging because it says whoever cl- claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. That means that we are becoming like him every day. And that doesn't happen in a week and it doesn't happen in a month and it doesn't happen in 15 years. It happens in a lifetime. So we are in our lifetime growing and changing to be more like him. So that at the end of our life, scripture says we are going to be like him. When that day comes when we see him, we're going to be like him, right? So all of this comes back to the main point, which is obedience. And that is where we are going to um, kind of ask that question, what does it mean to me? What does obedience mean to you guys? Does anyone else struggle with obedience in this room? Yes, y'all. I am, you, you may not know this about me. I hate rules. I hate someone telling me what to do. I'm like, oh, no. You may think you know me. You don't know me. Don't tell me what to do. You don't know my life. Um, so this question of obedience, especially in regards to God, is highly important. Because for those of you guys who have a rebel heart like me, we're going to have to do that surrender thing continually where we lay ourselves down before God and we say, actually, I, I don't know best. He knows best. And I'm going to trust him in that. And it's not going to be like a one-time thing. It's going to be over and over and over again in different situations as things come up. As a rebel, I know this because I live it, and it was just last week for me, guys. It was Saturday. It was Saturday. So, as we are looking at this scripture again, I'm going to reread it. It says, We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. What a promise, you guys. If you obey the word of God, the love of God is made complete in you. Isn't that great? Yeah. Yeah. Who said that? Yeah. I like everybody who's like super verbal tonight. Um, I wish I had candy to throw at you as a reward. (laughs) Honestly. There are really good muffins at my table, so feel free. (laughs) Oh, there are none left? Okay, there's three, so good luck, guys. Um, They're really really good. But yeah, so love of God is made complete in them. What does that mean? It means that you are loving Jesus. He feels your love. He knows you love him when you obey his commands and when you choose obedience and you surrender your heart to him. And guys, this is not like a formal talk. I'm not up here trying to entertain you all so much. It's kind of like pick apart the word of God for you a little bit and say this is how you do it. Um, A team of us just came back from Nicaragua. And I know, yes. Um, I love Nicaragua. I love New Image, our ministry down there that we partner with. Um, And as I get to know, so for those of you guys who don't know, New Image works with the um, population of prostitutes in Managua, um, which is the capital city. And there are something around 1,500 to 2,000 of them that work every day. And so 
for them as they're invited into relationship with Jesus, they have all kinds of baggage. They have stories of terrible abuse, physical, sexual, and other kinds of abuse. They have stories and cycles of sin and addiction that they've been in for many, many years. And guys, you know what I hear that changes their cycle? Is obedience. It's the ones who have made it out and are living successfully differently are the ones who say, I choose Jesus when it makes no sense to choose him. I choose obedience when everything else in my life says don't choose it. I choose obedience when my heart wants to be rebellious. I choose Jesus. And the ones who are still stuck in those cycles, I had a conversation with one of them at the pool on Thursday, and she said, I'm still stuck in this cycle because I was choosing me, 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 over what God wanted me to do. And she knows it. So I'm going to invite you guys to listen to um, the story of Tamara. She's a good friend of mine. She's someone who is living a life of freedom. And I want you guys to listen for the obedient parts of her story. Muy buenos días, ¿verdad? Mi nombre es Tamara Johanna Mendoza Calero. Eh, tengo 38 años. Eh, nací en Bonanza. Eh, soy madre de siete hijos. Eh, actualmente estoy casada. Cuando tenía 15 años, eh, mi mamá tuvo contacto con un hombre que era desconocido para mí, pero para ella sí conocido. Y, y tuve el tiempo en que mi mamá me vendió a ese hombre. Fui una joven engañada, creí en las palabras de ese supuesto buen hombre y ese hombre abusó de mí, sin mi consentimiento, me tomó a la fuerza. O sea, eh, eh, producto de ese abuso eh, salí embarazada y fue un embarazo, podría decir, sufrido porque yo no estaba preparada para tener bebé. Y mi mamá quería que yo siguiera viviendo con él, aun cuando él dijo que ese niño no era de él. Mi madre me despojó de mi hija, me la quitó en todos los aspectos de la palabra. No me dejaba acercarme a ella y viviendo bajo el mismo techo. Un día de tanto maltrato, con palabras fuertes de ella, decidí llevar, salir de esa casa y llevarme a mi hija, pero ella me dijo que me iba a meter presa si me la llevaba. Yo no tenía fuerzas, era muy joven, no tenía quien me ayudara y tuve miedo y retrocedí. Tomé la decisión de separarme to totalmente de mi familia con una palabra puesta en mi corazón que algún día iba a regresar por mi hija. Ese hombre cuando me conoció decía que él me amaba, que yo era todo para él y yo le creí. Viví con él tres meses, un amor bonito, eh, un amor disimulado, podría decir hoy, eh, pero más no sabía yo lo que el diablo tenía preparado para mí. Después de los tres meses, después de los tres años que yo viví con ese hombre, él empezó a golpearme. Eh, yo tenía apenas 16 años. Él me pegaba en el desayuno, él me pegaba en el almuerzo, él me pegaba en la cena. Y por nada, yo salía con él y si yo volteaba a ver, él me daba en la cara, delante de quien sea. Y prácticamente mi cuerpo solo vivía maltratado, morada, los ojos, la, la, los brazos, las piernas. Ese hombre me violaba las veces que él quería, porque hoy sé que es una violación lo que él hacía conmigo. Eh, me amarraba los, a un palo de mango, me desnudaba, me daba con una manguera. Eh, batía el lodo sucio. Una vez me colgué de un alambre y fui al hospital. 
otra vez me bebí gas, me bebí un, una botella de gas, me intoxiqué. Llegué al hospital y cuando llegué, me llevaban en una camilla, yo solo sentí que alguien me tocó aquí la cabeza y dijo una palabra. Yo siento que será Dios. Esa palabra me dijo, hija, pobrecita, dice, está sufriendo, me dijo. Y cuando me quitaron la mano, yo pude ver claro y yo miraba al cielo y yo le decía, Señor, perdóname. Entonces, cuando él regresó, viene y me dice, Tamara, te estoy diciendo que vengas. Entonces yo le dije, no, no te voy a volver a obedecer. Porque ahora le digo, o me matas o te mato. Entonces yo pude, pude tener valor. Y yo, yo le dije a él, nunca más me vas a volver a poner una mano encima de Hoy se termina esto, le dije yo. Y él se fue. Entonces tomé mi decisión de separarme de él. Y sin horizonte, volví a tropezar con otra piedra. Conocí al padre de mis cinco hijos. Me fui con él. Empecé a tener relaciones con él. Viví con él muchos años. Eh, salí embarazada de Hazel. Eh, cuando Isaac cumplió un añito, él ya no quería trabajar. El papá de él ya no quería trabajar. Miré a una vecina donde yo vivía que comían pollo, se vestían bien todos los días. Eh, y yo la tenía de frente y yo un día le dije que me consiguiera trabajo. Y ella me dijo que sí, que me alistara y que me fuera con ella. Porque me dice, la mujer se sentó y me dice, este es el trabajo el que yo te traía, me dice. Y yo me quedo y le digo, pero ¿a dónde? Sí? ¿Qué es esto? Pues aquí vas a venir a prostituir, me dice. Este es mi trabajo, me dice. Y yo le dije, no, Gloria, le dije, vos sos loca, yo tengo a mis hijos, no me importa. Pues sí, para que no les haga falta nada a tus hijos y no andes de, en los basureros, me decía ella. Y yo le hice caso. Pasé 12 años, salí embarazada de Gonzalito, el tercer hijo, y empecé a prostituirme como una vida normal, solucionaba mis problemas, me sentía bien que ya mis hijos comían, bebían, dormían en paz, se vestían. Y eso era paz para mí. Doña Helen, una extranjera, eh, se dedicaba con Helen y Xiomara a predicar en los lugares donde estábamos nosotras, en el hotel, en el hospedaje. Y llegó la palabra para mí, pero yo no la aceptaba. Y yo decía, no estoy preparada porque la verdad es que si agarro el evangelio no me va a dar de comer. Y si voy al estudio bíblico, pierdo de agarrar aquí. ¿Y quién me le va a dar a mis hijos? Nadie. Ellas son locas, solo quieren darme palabras y, y no me van a dar para mis hijos. Y yo no hacía caso, era desobediente, no me entraba. Pero pienso que ya era el proceso de Dios. Me hicieron una invitación a un evento y mi amiga que yo conocí, yo no tenía dinero y yo le digo, no puedo ir, no tengo dinero ahorita. Vamos, yo te voy a dar, me dice, yo te presto, después me pagas. Ya era el plan de Dios. Yo llegué allá, oraron por mí y empecé a llorar. Empecé a verme de la edad de ocho años a la vida que llevaba. Me partí el alma, era una herida tan grande en mi corazón que en ese momento yo lo único que hice fue decir, aquí estoy, Señor. Y le entregué mi vida a Dios ese día y le dije, Señor, te entrego todo lo que soy. Y le dije una palabra que yo me la aprendí y nunca se me olvidó. Y yo le digo al Señor siempre, no tengo oro ni plata, pero lo que tengo te doy, Señor, y lo que hoy te ofrezco es mi corazón, le dije yo. Tomame, Señor, cambiame, 
yo no sé qué vas a hacer de esta mujer, le digo yo, pero ten misericordia de mis hijos. La verdad es que haber venido a los caminos de Cristo y aceptarlo a Él como mi único Salvador, como mi Padre, como todo en la vida, dejando todo ese mundo de tristeza, de llanto, de dolor, de maltrato, seguir a Cristo fue mi mejor opción. Fue el mejor regalo que yo pude haber obtenido en todo lo que viví y lo que vivo hoy. Y para mí hoy en la actualidad es un gozo y es una alegría que no para todos los días en mi vida. I know. She's amazing. Did you guys hear the obedience in her story? Did you hear that moment where she had to decide that she would take a chance on Jesus, even if that meant she didn't know where her next meal was coming from? I want you guys to know that Tamara has been living free of prostitution for seven years at this point. I know, I know. And you guys, I also know that it has not been easy for her. She's still poor. She still lives in a house made of tin with a dirt floor. But she's at peace. She's what? But she takes care of it. She does. She loves that house. She takes real good care of it. But the things that we think are so important sometimes do damage to our souls. What if she kept working so she could have a better house, quote unquote? She's surrendered her life and she lives a life of obedience. And so, guys, what I want to tell you is that you can have confidence in your obedience because of the first part that we went through, that we have a defender and a savior who's on our side. And so as we choose in the scary moments, like Tamara did, to obey him, we can trust him, and we'll find out that we can trust him because we step forward and he catches us, okay? So what you guys are going to do at your tables is continue with um, the— can I borrow your Bible? Yeah. I'm like all kinds of unprepared tonight. Thank you guys for being chill, like this is our living room. <laughs> um, so we're going to continue, and you guys are going to pull apart um, the scripture, which is 7 through— 11 at your tables, and then we're going to come back up, and you're going to hear a story from someone in our community who's living a life of obedience. So go forth. Thanks, One minute, guys. Okay, guys, I'm going to bring us back. I'm sorry. I know that everybody's having awesome conversations, and I love that. I love to hear you guys talking. Does anyone want to share, like, what the application was at their table? This table wants to share. 
They're very excited. What is it, guys? Yeah, say it. That we're in the dark anymore. Ooh, I like that. Did you guys? Okay, so what she said, guys, is when you walk in darkness for a long time, your eyes adjust to the darkness and you don't even realize that you're walking in the dark anymore. Ooh, that's deep. Good job. High five to all of y'all. That's good. Does anybody else want to share? Rach? Yeah. Came to a conclusion? I think there's two answers to your question. One would be your attitude will affect your joy in the obedience. Maybe not the outcome, but it might affect how you feel about what happens afterward. And then two, if you are obeying but half-heartedly, the next step in that obedience, you may not take it. Does that make sense? Because if you obey but you're just kind of like, eh, but I don't really want to, the next time or the further step that God asks you to take, if there's only half-hearted obedience, it may not be obedience. Mm-hmm. Does that answer your question? Cool. Good question, guys. M? Yeah. Yeah. That's true too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true too. So ma- yeah, that's totally true. So maybe there's three answers to your question. Yeah, because I think all three of those scenarios could be true. Good. Thanks, Sam. All right, guys, this is Taylor. She is one of three Taylors in this room. Yeah. Yeah. Taylors Unite. <laughs> Taylors Unite. Um, so she's going to share with you guys a little bit of her story and what God has been teaching her. So go ahead. Okay. <laughs> so um, I don't know how many of you know me, but a little backstory. I have been coming to Blue Ridge for about three years now and coming to Crash for about two and a half, maybe. And when I gave my life to Christ, I had been going through a lot of different issues, as we all have, um, but one of them was sex. So we can get that out of the way. It's about sex, and it's going to be weird, but we're going to persevere through this. <laughs> um, so I had been dating my boyfriend for a few years, and before I knew Christ, we had sex, and it was kind of a regular thing, a thing that we did, didn't really talk about it, um, but as I went to church and God was working through me, I kind of started to feel some shame about sex because kind of growing up, even not as a Christian, like sex is something that you're supposed to save for marriage, but I didn't. Um, So after giving my life to Christ, I decided, you know, if I was going to follow Jesus, I needed to stop having sex. 
And my boyfriend was on board, so we did that, you know, gave my life to Christ, got baptized. We didn't have sex until about a few months later, we went to the beach. It was beach week, and everything went to, to crap. <laughs> um, and I was so brokenhearted for myself because I really wanted to be good at it. I really wanted to give it to God. Um, so I came back to crash that next week and kind of told everybody what happened. They gave me some encouragement, and we were like, okay, we're going to try it again. The story goes that it happened again, it stopped happening. It happened again, and it stopped happening. And it was a pretty vicious cycle for a long time um, until I went to my first missions trip in Nicaragua. And this is where God really broke my heart for myself. Um, seeing those women in Nicaragua, they're prostitutes. And a lot of them, I kind of consider them slaves to sex. And so going there and meeting with them and talking to them, I felt like you could take their name, you could take Tamara's name out of the, com- or out of the sentence and put mine in there. Maybe my story was not as intense and not situationally the same, but the same sin that we're struggling with and obedience that we're struggling with is exactly the same. Um, so God really put it on my heart to open it up to community and be serious about it this time. And I got some really good encouragement from everybody else saying that, like, this is not something that you're doing and that God's praising you for. This is a response to God. This is what you're doing in obedience to him. Um, This is a sacrifice because he loved you and he has something greater in store for you. Um, So since Nicaragua, we were good for a while. It happened again, but we're back and we're stronger than ever. Um, This is a cycle and it's going to keep going like this. I have faith that as the more I have accountability, the more I bring it to light, that it's going to get easier and easier. Um, and it has. It really has. Um, I know that looking back, God set up these roadblocks so that I would move closer to him. Um, and I knew that being closer to him would mean having a greater community. It would mean bringing my boyfriend, his family, his friends, all of these people closer to God. It was so hard to see in that moment, but it was really good to see now and looking back, I knew that this is what God did for me um, so that I would look more like him. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> Thank you, um, Do you want to share any of your scripture? Yeah. One of them? Um, some scripture. One that's been on my mind a lot lately is Galatians 5.1, if y'all want to flip or scroll through that. Um, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. I love it. Um, Yeah. If any of y'all, I don't have all the answers and I don't know everything, but if any of y'all are struggling with sex or what else and you'd love to talk, I would love to talk with you. Thank you, Tay. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Ben. You guys, I love her story because um, I've known Taylor since she first walked in these doors, and I've gotten to know her um, through her whole journey as a Christ follower, which is a gift. And so I know that when she says that she struggled in a cycle for a long time, and then that God broke that cycle, that he really broke the cycle, guys. Um, she's not perfect, and she's not walking in perfection. She's walking in freedom. Um, and so, guys, that's what I want to encourage you in. Again, just this little, like, up and to the right idea. When you read scripture and it talks about, like, 
hear the things that God warns you against, it's not because he's a rule giver and he just wants you to be miserable your whole life. It's because things can hurt us. And so to be more like Jesus is to not live in perfection with no sin, but it's to just continue to be walking with him. And so as we grow, the sin becomes less and Christ becomes more in us. Does that make sense? Okay. So what I want to encourage you guys to do for the next, like, five minutes is um, pray for each other. Uh, I hope you guys have had good conversation at your tables. I hope you guys have leaned in a little bit to what the scripture means. So talk about what you guys need prayer for. Like, what's your next step in walking in obedience? And then I'm going to come up at nine and close us in prayer. Go ahead.